How many of you have a brother? Anybody have a brother? Many, many folks have brothers. I've got a brother as well. My brother's name is Dave. A few of you probably know my brother. He's been around for longer than I have. Uh, because he's my older brother, I followed him throughout my 12 years of high school. We went through Perry schools together. I followed him three years behind him uh, all the way through. Now, my brother's a very smart guy. He can read and understand things that I just kind of stare at and blink at, have no idea what it's even all about. But he understands those kinds of things. So he got very good grades in school. Uh, he went on to uh, get a, a degree in computer science from Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, which if you know anything about that school, it uh, says just how smart a guy he is. So throughout my 12 years of school, how do you suppose I was constantly referred to as? I was referred to as Dave's brother. Oh, you're Dave's brother. Uh, I had no identity of my own for, through most of school. I was simply uh, Dave's brother. Now, I didn't have any problem with that. I like my brother. I respect my brother. I'm glad he wasn't some sort of an axe murderer or something. That's why they knew him. Uh, they knew him for good reasons. But you could say that throughout the years until I graduated, I lived under the shadow of my brother. That was just kind of how it went. Now, this morning we're looking at this fellow by the name of Andrew, one of the disciples. Uh, we have you in uh, John chapter 1. Go there again if you would. I'd like you to see again John chapter 1. Uh, begin reading now in verse 40. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 40, it says, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Uh, Simon Peter brings Peter, uh, rather, Andrew brings Simon Peter to Jesus. Simon Peter was Andrew's brother. Can you imagine being the brother of Simon Peter? I mean, can you just fathom what that would be all about? Can you imagine going through school and everybody saying, oh, you're Simon Peter's brother? <laughs> now, in my case, it wasn't bad to be referred to as Dave's brother. But as we've considered the past two weeks of what Simon Peter was all about, I'm not sure that was the case with Andrew. I'm not sure he always wanted to be known as Simon Peter's brother, especially those who know, knew Peter in his early adult life. Uh, you remember a few weeks ago we talked about the groupings of these disciples. Andrew was in that first group, along with Peter and James and John. So Andrew was no slouch when it came to his walk with the Lord and his work for him. And yet oftentimes Andrew is found in the background. Uh, when the important events are happening, as uh, uh, the Gospels, Andrew was kind of in the, in the background, in, in the scenes behind. He was in the inner circle. As a result, he had a close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet we often hear very little about him and hear very little from him. What we see in the verses we just read here this morning, we're going to see it more as we go through this message this morning. Andrew had a zeal for the Lord, and he was always eager to, to follow Jesus Christ. What we also see, however, in the life of Andrew is that Andrew was the disciple of the details. Andrew was the one who took care of things that nobody else really wanted to or thought to take care of. And more often than some of the other disciples, including his more famous brother, Andrew had his focus on the right place. And he paid attention to where it was, to, where it counted. And so what I want us to see this morning, and what we'll see with the other disciples as well, is that making a name and being famous does not necessarily equate to effective ministry. And sometimes the one that is most used by God is the one who stays in the background and handles the things that nobody else even thinks to take care of or wants to handle. So if that describes you this morning then we want to see how God can use you in his service, how you can be the presence of Jesus Christ in your world, even though that's your personality. Now, we saw last time with Peter, Andrew and Peter came from the town of Bethsaida. Uh, they let, later uh, located to the larger city of Capernaum, 
We learn from Mark chapter 1 and verse 29 that these two brothers shared a house together and had a fishing business together uh, as well. Uh, And more than likely, Andrew and Peter were lifelong friends of two other fishermen, James and John, also from Capernaum. And so apparently all four of these men had a spiritual interest, so much so that it caused them to take a day off from their fishing and go into the wilderness, as we see in John chapter 1, and hear John the Baptist. And that's where they first meet Jesus Christ. And so it makes sense with that that background that they formed a cohesive group among the uh, four, among the other 12 disciples that were there. Uh, They would clash at times because they all wanted to be leaders. That's evidence in their arguments as who's going to be the greatest. But what we also see is among those four, Andrew was the least conspicuous and mentioned rarely in the gospel accounts. Andrew lived, as I mentioned a minute ago, in the shadow of his much more well-known brother, uh, Simon Peter. But what we learn about uh, Andrew's character from that, uh, usually if a person is being overshadowed by somebody else, there's a certain amount of resentment that goes along with that. However, we don't see any of that in Andrew. Again, we saw in these verses in John that Andrew is the one who brought Simon Peter to Jesus Christ. Now, Andrew knew Peter's personality. Andrew certainly had to know that Peter was going to take charge and push him into the background, as I'm sure he had done so many times before. And yet, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus Christ anyway. (laughs) Andrew had uh, what many struggle with today. Andrew had a heart for ministry, not the limelight. It didn't matter to him who got the credit. He didn't care who got the glory, unlike many believers today, and certainly unlike his older brother. Andrew didn't care who got the glory. Andrew just wanted to see God's work done. And the reason why so often Andrew's, uh, God's work does not get done is because believers are too worried about somebody else getting the credit for the work. They want to make sure they, get, they are the, the ones who are noticed, uh, that people recognize their effort. Andrew just wanted to do God's work. He just wanted to see God's work accomplished. Who got the credit to Andrew was immaterial. And so we see that from of the four disciples in this inner circle, Andrew was the least contentious and the most thoughtful. There is no indication that Andrew ever started the debates or participated in them. And because Andrew's focus was in the right place, he did the right thing for the right reason. What we might say about Andrew, which I think is a testimony that would live for the ages, Andrew didn't care if people were aware of what he knew. He wanted them to know who he knew. And what a fantastic thought that is. Didn't care at all what people knew as far as what he knew. They just, he just wanted to know them to know who he knew. And people will see Jesus Christ in us when we get to focus off of ourselves and onto him. Uh, The best way to get a picture of who Andrew is, is to hear what Jesus Christ said about him. So back to John chapter 1 again. Again, John the Baptist is preaching here, and many come out to hear him, including Jesus Christ himself. And uh, after John's message, Jesus Christ walked by. Notice again John the Baptist's words in verse 35, And the next day after John stood, and two of the disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. He identifies Jesus Christ as God's Lamb, God's Son. He identifies Jesus Christ for who he is. And then in verse 37, we find that two disciples began following him. In verses 38 through 40, we find these men spent an entire day with Jesus Christ. Now, we have no record of what went on during that time, but clearly a day spent in the presence of Jesus Christ would have to be life-changing. And that was true of Andrew. I want you to see verses 40 through 42 one more time. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Uh, he goes to where Jesus Christ is, spends a day with him, and then comes back to that crowd. And Andrew left that meeting convinced that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He left that meeting convinced that he had to tell other people who this one was. And so he had to bring other people to Jesus Christ. And the first one he brought to Jesus Christ was the one that he cared about the most. He brought his own brother, Simon Peter. What is the first step in becoming the servant God wants us to be? The first step, folks, is spending significant time with Jesus Christ. If you want to be a servant of Jesus Christ, the first step is spending significant time with him. We saw this last week in the life of Peter as well. He also learned how to minister after spending significant time with Jesus Christ. And with so much evidence demonstrating how important that is, if you want to be God, do God's work God's way, it's amazing how many believers simply want to skip that step. <laughs> Just get past it. They say they want to be servants of the Lord. They say they want to accomplish great things for him, but they spend their time with everything and anything else but Jesus Christ. Now, that would not make sense in any other field we might talk about. Suppose you're hired to do a job. You've never done the job before, and there's a person you're replacing who's done that job for 30 years. And so your employer says to you, spend time with that person and learn the job by spending time with them. And you refuse to do it. Uh, or while you're do with that person, you're on your phone or reading something online, paying no attention whatsoever. You would never learn that job the way you need to learn it from that person who could train you on it if you don't spend time and pay attention to what they tell you. That makes complete sense uh, to us in that field. And we would never consider doing something like that. But for some reason, believers simply refuse to do it when it comes to Jesus Christ. They simply believe for some reason that they can wing it when it comes to the service of the Lord. They can just figure it out on their own and do what they're supposed to do without spending any time at all with the one who has called them to do that work and who has a specific way he wants that work done. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. There is no believer who is smart enough to figure out what God wants them to do without spending time with him. We will never figure that out for ourselves. Unless you spend time with him, we'll have no idea what we're supposed to do. And when I spend time with him, I'm talking about spending significant, and I mean significant time in Bible study and in prayer and in worship in God's house. We may be able to shortcut get a, a training on a job, but we will never shortcut training the training needed for the work that God has called us to do. And much of the reason that God's work is not being done is because we simply have too many believers who are unwilling to spend the time that it takes to learn what God wants them to do and do it his way. Amen. Andrew was a great example of what it will take to do the work of the Lord. And the first thing he did was spend significant time with Jesus Christ. Now, Scripture shows us once Andrew and Peter had this encounter with Jesus Christ, uh, they returned back to Capernaum and resumed their fishing career there. At this point, they had no intention whatsoever of being in full-time ministry. They planned on serving God in their regular occupation. I'd like you to turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4. All of that changed one day. In, the split, in a split second, in a moment, their entire life changed. Matthew chapter 4. I'll look at verse 18. Here is the turning point in the life of Peter and Andrew. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. 
And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishes of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Notice the response. Jesus Christ calls, and notice the word there, and straightway. That word means immediately, right away, they dropped everything and followed Jesus Christ. After spending time with the Lord, after getting a full understanding of the work they were called to do, when Jesus Christ called, without even a second thought, they followed him. I find it so interesting how many roadblocks we throw up sometimes before we just do what God calls us to do. <laughs> so many reasons why we can't do it. It's amazing how many excuses we can give, how many reasons we can find for, uh, for doing uh, anything else except what God has called us to. And finding reasons why we can't do the work that God has called us to do. It's amazing how many opportunities we pass by while we're trying to figure out the reason to do or not to do what God has obviously called us to do. Listen, if you underline your Bible, you're not going to underline that word straightway. <laughs> that word is, a, is a, an important and significant word if we're going to be the service God has called us to be. When we become aware of a work that needs to be done, and we are aware that God has called us to do it, we follow Andrew's example. We drop everything. Everything becomes secondary to completing the work that God has called us to. So here's the challenge. And I give that challenge to all of us this morning. The next time you are made aware of some ministry opportunity, the next time you become aware that something in the church or outside of the church needs to be done, I want to challenge you to drop everything else you're doing and put everything else on the back burner and follow God in the work that he's called you to. Don't take time to figure out the logistics of it. Don't assess all the pros and cons to it. Don't give thought if you're the best one to do it or if somebody else could do it better. When the opportunity shows up, just do it and watch how God blesses you and watch how God blesses that approach if you'll just do that. All God says is, just stop what you're doing and follow me. And if you'll do that, God will use you in ways you never thought possible. Just watch how God blesses if you'll do it. Now, here's a point of interest. The account that I just read to you in Matthew chapter 4 is also found in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And even though it is obviously the same account, Luke never mentions Andrew's name. <laughs> Andrew has not mentioned that account. He goes through the entire thing, 11 verses, and Andrew never shows up. Here is one who is willing to drop all to follow the Lord, and his name is never mentioned in the account. Uh, you see, and apparently he was totally fine with that. Andrew was a servant. He had no need or no desire to be in the limelight. We're going to talk about this a whole lot throughout this message. Because Andrew was simply eager to do what God would call him to do and was willing to do whatever God called him to. And in spite of his eagerness and his willingness, he remained in the background and didn't get all the recognition that the, uh, some of the other disciples got. And again, Andrew was totally fine with that. Here's the thing. When a person is doing the right thing for the right reason, they don't need to be noticed. When they're doing what God has called them to, and their motive is right, it doesn't matter who knows what they're doing. When a person's heart is right, and the motive is right, they don't need their opinion to be heard. They don't need to be acknowledged for how much they know or what they've done. When the heart is right, the only thing that matters is completing the work that God has given that to them to do. And the sign of a spiritually mature believer is that they do God's work and don't need the acknowledgement or the recognition for doing it. They simply do it because it's what God has called them to, and any recognition they get will come later at the judgment seat of Christ. 
So if the recognition was not important to Andrew, then what was? What is it that motivated him? If recognition did not motivate him, what motivated Andrew to do the work that God called him to and do it in the background where nobody else noticed? That's why I want to spend the rest of our time today. I want to look at the things that Andrew valued, which made him a true disciple for Jesus Christ. Because I believe if we will also focus on these same things, if we, want to be the, if we will be the followers that God has called us to be and will do the work that God has called us to do. So here's what Andrew valued. First of all, Andrew valued individual people. Andrew valued individual people. In other words, Andrew fully appreciated the value of a single soul. Every time we see Andrew in the gospel records, he's always bringing someone to Jesus. (laughs) Every time we see it, he's bringing individuals, not crowds, to the Savior. We've seen in John chapter 1 already, Andrew brought Simon Peter to Jesus. When Jesus fed the 5,000, it was Andrew who brought this young boy with the loaves and fishes to the Savior. We're going to look at more, uh, that in more detail in just a second. But it was Andrew who said in John 6 verse 9, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? He's the one who brought that little boy to Jesus. In John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22, there were some Greeks who sought out Philip because they wanted to meet Jesus Christ. They probably heard of who he was and wanted to uh, see him in person. Uh, John 12, 21 says this, The same there came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired to see him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. The Greeks came to Philip. But Philip took them to Andrew, and Andrew, along with Philip, took them to Jesus Christ. Now, it's not clear why uh, in Scripture why Philip didn't take them himself, but he clearly knew that if somebody wanted to meet Jesus Christ, Andrew was the guy to get him to, because <laughs> Andrew would show him Jesus Christ. Andrew would take them to Jesus. Now, what we infer from this is that Andrew was very comfortable in introducing people to Jesus Christ. He didn't become flustered or insecure about doing that. He was willing and able to bring any person to Jesus who wanted to or needed to meet him. Now, here's a truth that's borne out by Scripture. It's affirmed by almost every study done in this regard. Most people who come to Jesus don't come out of a crowd. There's not a mass of people who typically find Jesus Christ. Now, uh, most come to Jesus Christ as they are invited by an individual personally. Now, again, that's not always the case. I understand that. Many have come to Jesus Christ by, after sitting in a church service. Uh, there have been great revivals in the past, and many have been saved out of the crowds of those great revivals. But even in that, in almost every case, if you talk to those folks, first of all, somebody witnessed to them individually. Somebody talked to them first, and then they heard the gospel, maybe in this crowd, and came to Jesus. But there was an individual who talked to them. When they give their testimony, they'll speak of some co-worker or some friend or some family member who spoke to them of Jesus Christ before they made their decision. Even if that person is not the one who led them to Jesus Christ, it was their influence that prepared the way for them to make that decision. And there is no telling what sort of effects will result from one person leading one person to Jesus Christ. There is no way to gather the effect that's going to have when one person leads another person to Jesus Christ. For example, again, Andrew is the one who brought Peter to Jesus. As we saw last week, there was no indication at that time that Peter's life would go as it did after he met the Savior. But a few years later, we find him at the day of Pentecost preaching one of the greatest sermons ever recorded. And thousands of people responded to that message that Peter brought that day. 
Everything Peter did in his ministry all began with one person bringing another person to Jesus Christ. Only God knew the far-reaching effects that would have as Andrew obeyed him and took Peter to Jesus that day. And all of the fruit that came because of Peter's ministry was placed into Andrew's account as well. Because he's the one who got the whole thing going. (laughs) One simple act. Folks, that is what is so exciting about God's work. You can't gauge the effect it's going to have. Uh, There are things that you may do in this world that have a certain effect on people. And you may see that effect and it may surprise you the effect. But when it comes to God's work, God is the one who controls the effects of what we do. And let me tell you something. God is infinite. (laughs) And therefore, the effects that work can have can have infinite effects, eternal effects. If we'll simply do what God calls us to. Uh, God's work can have an effect that we'll, in our human perspective, we'll never be able to see. We can lead one soul to Jesus Christ and see it as simply leading one soul to Jesus Christ. We have no idea at all what God's going to do with that one soul. How he will use that one soul to impact eternity. And listen to me, everything that happens after that one soul comes to Jesus Christ, if you lead that person to him, that all goes into your account. It's all yours, just like with Andrew and Peter. I read a story recently of a man by the name of Edward Kimball. Anybody ever hear of Edward Kimball? I didn't think so. Edward Kimball is a man who led D.L. Moody to Jesus Christ. Now, i not surprised you never heard of him. Ed, Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. Uh, he went to Boston that day to a shoe store where 19-year-old Moody worked and cornered Moody in that shoe store in the stock room and led him to the Savior. Now, Kimball was not a bold evangelist. He was meek and mild and timid. He went to that shoe store in fear and trembling, unsure he had the courage to confront Moody with the gospel. Because at that time, Moody was lost as lost could be. He was crude and he was brash. And when Kimball thought about speaking to him about the Lord, it nearly brought fear to him and made his knees knock. <laughs> I want to read you Kimball's comments regarding the experience he, after he uh, told uh, Moody about the Savior. He found Moody wrapping uh, shoes in the stock room. He said, I spoke to Moody with limping words, is how he called it. <laughs> he said, I could, ne- I could never remember just what I said that day, something about Christ and his love, and that was all. In fact, he said it was a weak appeal to Moody. But from that appeal, Moody gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure that most who are aware of the great mo- work that Moody did after he trusted Jesus Christ, both in America and in England. Uh, thousands came to Jesus Christ because of his ministry, including C.T. Studd, who was a pioneer missionary, and Wilbur Chapman, who was a well-known evangelist. Moody went on to establish Moody Bible Institute, where thousands have been trained to do God's work. And all of that began with a meek and mild man who gave a weak appeal that led to a conversion that has impacted this world for years and years afterwards and will until Jesus Christ comes. One faithful man leading one individual to Jesus Christ. Folks, that's the kind of work God does. That's how he does it. He just takes people like you and I who see ourselves as being nothing special, having no typical ability, and he takes people like you and I who are willing and puts them in a place to impact somebody else for the cause of Christ. And we have no idea what God's going to do with that. Just one person being faithful and bringing one person to Jesus Christ. A meek and mild man leading D.L. Moody to the Savior. As we see the value of individuals, as we see the value of individual souls uh, that we come in contact with and tell them about Jesus Christ, God does his work. Listen to me, folks. It is not about winning the masses. 
Praise God if we're able to do that. But that's not what it's about. It's about the work that Andrew did one by one, bringing one person at a time to the Savior. You say, why do you folks go out on Tuesday nights and knock on doors and lay out flyers? One by one by one by one. Why do you have that marketplace ministry on Wednesdays? Why do you do that sign? One by one by one. Why do you have Sunday school? One by one. Why do you have the Good News Club? One by one. One by one. Folks, that's the work we're called to do. Now, again, I'm not knocking it. I believe that God uses it for sure. But that's why it doesn't have to be a big church to get God's work done. It doesn't have to be. Now, if God uses a big church, praise God for that. But it doesn't have to be just one by one by one by one doing God's work. And it could be 10 or 10,000. It doesn't make any difference. One by one, bringing people to the Savior. You may not be a great orator. You may not give grand speeches. You may never stand before large crowds and preach great messages. You don't have to. You don't have to. Just bring one person at a time. And we'll do that work when we are struck as Andrew was with the value of each individual soul. So Andrew valued individual souls. Here's what else Andrew valued. Secondly, Andrew saw the value of individual gifts. Individual gifts. It is so much easier to see the big picture if you're able to take, appreciate the value of small things. And that was a skill that Andrew possessed. And the clearest example of that is the approach he took uh, when the 5,000 needed to be fed. You remember the story. Jesus Christ had taken a break from public ministry, as he did on occasion, and went to a mountain to be alone with his disciples. While he was there, this huge crowd shows up. Somehow they found out where Jesus Christ was and came to that place. It was close to being time to eat, and Jesus decided, decided he wanted those people fed. So he asked Philip where they might buy bread to feed these people. Now, Philip must have been some sort of an accountant, so he did some quick figuring and let Jesus Christ know that what they had in the treasury was not nearly enough to feed all these people. You see, Philip was overwhelmed by the size of the crowd and the size of the need, and the disciples were at a loss as to what to do next. So in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15, the disciples say this, this is a desert place, and the time has now passed. Send the multitude away, <laughs> that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. In other words, let them go off by themselves, get them off our hands, and send them somewhere else, because <laughs> we can't deal with them. Here's what Jesus Christ said in verse 16. Now, get a hold of this. Five over 5,000 people standing before you, and they need to be fed. They have no food anywhere around to feed those people. And Jesus Christ says, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. <laughs> now, just think about that. They don't need to go away. Feed them. Feed them. Now, put yourselves in the disciples' place. They are faced with over 5,000 hungry people. They have no food and very little money. And Jesus Christ says, no problem, you feed them. And that's what Andrew spoke up. And what he said, I read a minute ago from John 6, 9, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Now, Andrew obviously knew that wasn't enough food to feed over, feed over 5,000 people. But in true fashion, he brought this young boy to Jesus Christ anyway. Andrew knew that Jesus Christ had commanded them to feed the people, and therefore he knew Jesus Christ must have a plan in mind as to how he was going to do it. And so Andrew did the best he could with what seemed to be available. Andrew knew the five loaves and two fish were not insignificant as long as Jesus Christ was around. 
He knew that was okay as long as Jesus Christ was in the middle of it. In other words, no gift is insignificant in the hands of the Savior. And we know the rest of the story. Jesus Christ organized a crowd and gave orders to the disciples, and every one of those people were fed, and 12 baskets of food were left over. And Andrew's offer proved the point that no gift is small when it is surrendered to Jesus Christ. No gift is small when it is surrendered to Jesus Christ. Luke 21, 4, and he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in under the offerings of God. But she of her punery hath cast in all the living that she had. You know what he's saying? He's saying God can use any gift, no matter what the size of that gift, if it's given to him with the right heart attitude. Folks, the size of the gift is never the issue. At least in God's eyes, it's not. He never concerns himself with that. And that is because any gift in God's hand can accomplish whatever he sets out to do with it. It is not the greatness of the gift that counts. It's the greatness of the God who takes the gift. (laughs) The gift is immaterial. It is the greatness of the God who receives it. By the way, Jesus Christ didn't need that little boy's lunch to feed those people. He could have manufactured food right there on the spot if he wanted to do that. But that would have obscured the point he wanted to make. The point he wanted to make was any gift in his hands is a gift that is usable to him. God will take a gift that seems insignificant and do something great with it. Here's the question this morning, folks. Here's the question. Not how much do you have. Rather, what do you have? Not how much. The amount makes no difference whatsoever. What God asks is, what do you have? God only asks us to give to him what we have. Never once in Scripture do we ever find God refusing what somebody has given to him because it wasn't enough. God just wants us to surrender what we have. Now, I've worked with people for a long time. I know many believers have this feeling that they have very little to offer in in service to God. Uh, They compare their gifts and abilities to what others have, uh, what they've known about, read about, whatever, and they come to the conclusion they simply don't have anything, uh, gifts or talents or abilities or finances that God could ever use. And I want to say to you this morning, if that's where your thinking is, drive those thoughts from your mind. (laughs) Get rid of them. It is amazing to me, as I've watched over the years, people in our church use skills and abilities in God's work that on the surface seemed insignificant. But they found a way to use those skills to serve God and get the gospel out. You live in this society where bigger is better. Everything's on a large scale. And we think that's the approach that God takes or that we have to take to God's work. And I want to say to you again, nothing could be further from the truth. I'll say it to you one more time, folks, because it is so important for us to hear this. All God wants is access to everything you have. That's all he wants. He's not going to assess it to see how much it is or what the value is. He just wants everything that you possess to be used in his service. He doesn't want you assessing the worth, the value of it. He doesn't want you deciding if it's worthwhile or not worthwhile. He just wants you to surrender it all to him. And what we see in Andrew's life is that once we do that, God can take what is given to us and do something miraculous with it. Because here's the other deal, folks. God does not want you doing the work. Hope you finally figured that out. 
God does not want you doing the work. He just wants you to surrender yourself to the work that he wants you to do. And if you'll do that, God will do the work through you. Guaranteed. Nobody in this room who knows Jesus Christ as Savior, nobody watching today is unusable to God in his service. Just give him what you have. Just give it to him. You say, well, I'm a mess. I can't do that. It doesn't matter. Just give it to him. Don't fix yourself up first and then surrender yourself. Just surrender yourself as you are and let him fix you up. He'll do it. He'll do it. God will use you. Just give him what he needs to do the work. And if we'll do that, uh, he will do some amazing things. We've watched that happen. You've watched that happen in your own life. God will do some miraculous things if you'll simply give what you have to him. So, Andrew valued individual gifts. Let me give you the third thing Andrew valued this morning. We've talked about a little bit already. I want to focus in for a moment if I could. He valued inconspicuous service. Inconspicuous service. Andrew was never the one seeking the limelight, never the one who needed to be noticed. Compare him to that attitude that we see displayed to us by Peter and James and John, and the difference is clear. Andrew was much more concerned about bringing people to Jesus than he was about who got the credit or who was in charge. In fact, never is Andrew ever quoted in Scripture unless it's in reference to bringing someone to Jesus Christ. You never find Andrew in Scripture where there's not some soul he's bringing along with him. That's his testimony. That's his uh, uh, legacy. Andrew is a great example to us of a person who simply served quietly and humbly with no fanfare and no notice. Here's how Paul describes it. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the service of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. <laughs> not with eye service, not who's watching me do it. That's not important. Paul said, don't worry about that. And don't worry about pleasing men in your service. That's not the point. The point is, be a servant of Christ and do God's will from your heart. All that's important settles it all. That was Andrew. Andrew was one of those rare people who was willing to take second place. Those folks are harder and harder to find. Did you know that? He was simply willing to be the support, did not have to be the leader. Andrew didn't care if he was hidden from view as long as the work was getting done. And praise God for believers who've learned that lesson. (laughs) Praise God for believers who've learned that the work is what is important and the glory or the accolades that we get from our work are not important. John uh, Luke 9.35, you know the verse. Jesus said, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. You want to be first? Be a servant. Be a servant. If you want to be first, serve. That's God's economy. That's how God works. If you want to be the leader, you need to be the servant. In God's work, the best leader is that one with a servant's heart. Now, sadly, in our generation, that's become more and more difficult to find. With the rise of social media, with the me culture that's developed over the years, every person sees themselves as a celebrity. Every person sees what they're doing as most important, and everybody needs to know about it. Everybody feels their opinion has to be heard and taken heed to, and they post it out there for everybody to see. I find it very interesting in these social media platforms that the goal is to gain followers. Isn't that interesting? You want to gain followers. You want people to follow you. Fascinating. Everybody wants to be followed. 
And that mentality creeps into the point where everybody wants to be a leader and everybody wants to be followed by somebody else. Well, that may work for Twitter. That may work for Instagram. That is completely foreign to the work of the Lord. God seeks servants. God seeks followers before he seeks leaders. I'll say it to you again, folks. God seeks followers before he seeks leaders. If you want to be a leader, become a follower. That's how it works. That's how God works. God seeks those who are simply content to do the work, whether they are noticed or unnoticed. Because God knows that a person who will do that has their priorities right, has their perspective right, and they know, he knows that it's all about the work and not about finding glory in the work. I thank God every day for people in this church who are simply willing to do the work that nobody else knows about. You would be amazed how much work goes on here that nobody else even knows is going on. <laughs> but the work continues to get done because there are many in this church who simply realize that the work is all that is important. That's who Andrew was. That's who Andrew was. After Pentecost, uh, we have no idea what happened to Andrew as far as the Scripture goes. Scripture doesn't mention him again after Pentecost. Whatever role he played in the early church, he did it behind the scenes. (laughs) Not surprising. Not in the forefront. History tells us that uh, Andrew led the wife of a Roman emperor to Jesus Christ. And what he did infuriated the emperor. And the wife refused to recant her profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and so the emperor had, G- had Andrew crucified. Uh, the emperor tied him to a cross rather than nailing him to it because he wanted to prolong the agony of hanging there. So Andrew, as we are told, hung on that cross for two days. Listen to me. <laughs> Listen to me. Andrew hung on that cross for two days. And for two days as he hung upon that cross, everybody who walked by, he told them about Jesus Christ. Hanging on that cross by his hands, roped to that thing, dying on that cross. Every person who walked by, he exhorted them to find Jesus Christ as their Savior. He died doing the work that he loved to do. Because the work that was all that was important to him. It's all that mattered. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. After being in the shadows all his life... He died remaining faithful to God and preaching salvation to the very end. What a way to go. What a way to go. He may have lived in obscurity, but he died doing what he loved best, leading others to Jesus Christ. I praise God for people like Andrew. I praise God for people who live inconspicuously, who give insignificant sacrificial gifts, and who accomplish much for Jesus Christ as a result. I'm going to have you turn to one more passage before you close this morning. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We've looked at this verse many, many times. We're going to see it again many times more before we're done. I want you to see it again this morning. I want to remind you again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And look at verse 27. That verse says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You know what you're looking at this morning? I take pride in this. <laughs> pride in a godly sense. You look at one of the foolish things of the world. When they look at me, they say, what a nut. <laughs> What's he doing up there? Why would he commit his life to that? You know what they see you as when you walk through your life? And you do what God's called you to do. They see you as a foolish nut. 
and God will use you because of that. <laughs> You've qualified. You've qualified. You know what God uses? God uses the foolish things of the world. That's what God uses. And he does that, the Bible tells us here, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. He uses people like you and I so that when the work gets all done, they can say it couldn't have been because of them. <laughs> couldn't have been done because of Sabaka. No way. <laughs> Had to be because of him. Amen. And that's what God wants. That's what God wants. You know what God is seeking from Calvary Bible Baptist Church this morning? He's seeking a congregation of Andrews. I believe that with all my heart. What God wants is a whole congregation of people just like Andrew. And you can be that person and I can be that person if we simply make God's work our priority and give him whatever he calls upon us to give to do it. And then just do what he calls you to do. Just do it. And if nobody in, on this earth knows you're doing it, just do the work. And I'll tell you what, if you'll do that, and I know this is old and trite, but I love this with all my heart. <laughs> If you'll do that, someday you'll stand before him and he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm sure that's what Andrew heard. That's what I want to hear. And we'll find that and we'll accomplish that as we simply give him what he wants and do what he calls us to do. And God will use you as a result. Let's pray.